1,273 people share their best life lessons from 2020. We will remember this year for the rest of our lives. We will tell people decades from now, this is what I did in 2020. This is who I was. This is what changed. A couple weeks ago, I reached out to my email list and I asked them, what have been your biggest lessons from 2020? Over a thousand people replied, some with multiple pages of thoughts and experiences. The replies hailed from dozens of different countries, from men and women as young as 15 and as old as 84, from people who had one of the greatest years of their lives and people who had one of the worst. After spending the greater part of a week combing through the emails, some major themes emerged. I've condensed those themes into 10 practical takeaways below. Number one, you only really know who you are when everything is taken from you. This was an email from Andrew. A year ago, if you told me that my favorite restaurants, half my friends, and my CrossFit gym would be taken from me, I would have freaked out. But not only do I not miss them, I think I might actually be happier without them. In my book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I wrote that it's only by losing something that you can determine how much you value it. Therefore, the best strategy for determining what truly matters to you is by cutting things out of your life, then seeing what you miss and what you don't. Early in the year, I wrote that the pandemic was about to offer an excellent opportunity for all of us to experiment with this. Whether we wanted it or not, we were about to lose access to a lot of activities, events, hobbies, and friendships that we were accustomed to having whenever we wanted. At the time, I predicted that many people would be surprised by both who and what they missed and who and what they did not miss. This experience was by far the single most common experience reported. Hundreds of people said that they did not miss their work, hobbies, or favorite events. Some even discovered that they didn't miss many of their friends or family. Many reported that much of what they spent their lives doing pre-pandemic was not who they actually wanted to be. Some made the startling discovery that they hadn't really known who they were. As one young reader said, quote, I finally learned what my hobbies are. I spent so much time focusing on school before that I never really thought about who I am outside of school. A woman from the Netherlands had a similar discovery. Quote, the thing I learned this year is how much I've been going against my nature all my life. I've always suspected it, but now I fully understand how much of an introvert I am. When everything got canceled, I realized I'd been burning up socially for years. In lockdown, my friends were suffering. They just wanted to go out, but couldn't. And I, I was fine. This discovery was common. People who thought they were extroverted realized they were introverted. People who believed they were introverts discovered that they were actually quite extroverted. In both cases, people realized that much of what they thought was their personality was merely molded by social pressures. One young man said, I always thought I was okay being alone, but this pandemic showed me how much I need people around me. It's actually bugging me how lonely I feel, even when I'm able to talk to people every day. I never realized how needy I could be. But perhaps the biggest effect of no longer having a full schedule of activities to distract people from themselves was how many came to the realization that for many years they had been avoiding some ugly shit in their lives. As one reader put it, quote, I've spent years running from addressing depressive and anxious symptoms. When there were no social distractions or trips to plan, there was nowhere to hide from myself. Another said that he discovered that he had probably been a highly functioning alcoholic for many years, but it was only in isolation in the spring that he was forced to accept that his drinking wasn't just a social activity. It was a real problem. 
and a number of readers were forced to confront the fact that they were not happy in their marriages for the first time. This theme of self-discovery will continue to surface throughout this article and play a part in many of the other lessons. Some of these realizations will be positive and joyous. Others will be dark and upsetting. But in each case, by stripping away what we took for granted, the challenges of 2020 clarified for people who they actually are. Number two, a crisis doesn't change people. It amplifies who they already are. A quote from a reader named Jim. Adversity seems to bring out not necessarily the worst in people, but the essence of people. If the elimination of extraneous stuff clarifies who we are to ourselves, then it only makes sense that it would clarify who we are to others as well. The full quote from that reader Jim reads, quote, Adversity seems to bring out not necessarily the worst in people, but the essence of people. In my months working in retail through the pandemic, I've noticed my cranky customers get even meaner. The pleasant customers have gotten more friendly, understanding and compassionate towards our challenges. The generous ones have been leaving even bigger tips than before this whole thing started. The creative, optimistic business owners on my block have gotten more creative to survive while the businesses that were already failing have chosen to blame everyone else for their failing business. If you're a bad friend and not generous with your time and energy, there's no more hiding behind working long hours or endless business trips. If you're a shady, shifty fucker, there are no more excuses to cover up your duplicitous behavior. One reader commented that the pandemic brought out the, quote, factory default settings of everyone. The paranoid became more paranoid, the needy became more needy, the anxious became more anxious, and the optimistic became more optimistic. I found this true in my own life. I have a tendency to be a workaholic and a bit depressive. Throughout the pandemic, I have battled through weeks of depressive symptoms, usually by inspiring and distracting myself with work. Well, it was about mid-November when I realized that I hadn't taken a full weekend off in over eight months. I was exhausted, burnt out, and miserable. I've since had to force myself to slow down a bit. That amplification of our neuroses has created a it-got-worse-before-it-got-better dynamic for a lot of people. Early on, they discovered a lot of stuff they had been covering up for years, but as the months wore on, they were forced to confront and deal with their issues. Another reader said, quote, The pandemic brought me to my recovery. I started therapy twice a week, 12-step meetings, acupuncture, physical therapy for my back injury, and after all that, I finally, after 37 years, was able to identify as a trauma survivor, and then the healing began. Number three. The little things are the most important. A reader named Lynette wrote, quote, Myself and my patients, and my friends and family also, have learnt and relearnt that when you, all you have are the little things, the little things take on a huge significance. End quote. One way I like to think about the pandemic life is that it's kind of like a science experiment. You don't really know how things affect you until you can isolate them enough to see their full effects. For example, I never realized how awful I felt for days after drinking alcohol, even if I only drank a little. The reason I never realized it before is probably because there were six other things going on in my life that were also making me feel awful, so I was never able to isolate the effect alcohol has on me. But sitting at home all week, doing nothing, sleeping as much as I wanted, it soon became apparent that just a couple of glasses of whiskey could go a long way to wrecking my energy. I had similar realizations around staying up late, excessive amounts of video games, having regular check-ins with family members, and going outside for walks and getting sunlight. All affected my mood and energy much more than I suspected. 
which makes me wonder exactly how exhausted I must have been for pretty much all of my adult life. Many readers had similar experiences this year. An Egyptian reader put it very well when he said that his biggest lesson from 2020 was that, quote, mundane decisions are underrated. Something as simple as going to bed late one night can impact everything you do for the next two or three days, potentially causing a ripple effect through your life. You are tired and cranky, so you skip that Zoom meeting that you were scheduled for. But that Zoom meeting could have led to another business deal, which you now did not get. And the lack of that business deal causes budget problems for your company three months from now. That may sound dramatic, but I've developed a much greater respect for the downstream effects of small, simple choices. There's a famous study that found that judges give harsher sentences to criminals if they hadn't eaten. Having my day basically be the same every day for nine months straight, it's much easier to notice how these slight shifts affect me, my mood, and my energy. That is partly why, at the beginning of the year, I preached routine and ritual. With less going on in our lives, the more the small things matter. As one reader put it, quote, This year has taught me that ritual is the antidote to chaos. Small rituals, when practiced daily, give a sense of order to the mind. When all of this is over, I hope to continue some of my basic routines that I have adopted this year, simply because they make me a healthier, more sane individual. I imagine many people feel the same. Number four, the great social filter. Quote from a reader named Erica, Ironically, this social distancing thing has been great for weeding out useless relationships. End quote. Nothing like adding a dimension of risk to social interactions to quickly determine who is worth giving a fuck about and who is not. This experience was so common that I decided to name it the great social filter. The full quote from Erica reads, Quote, ironically, the social distancing thing is great for weeding out useless relationships. I've gotten so much closer to certain friends and let go of others, and I now realize they were very superficial. What's more, people I didn't think I had made much of an impression on came back around and wanted to talk, which in turn sparked greater, deeper, and more meaningful conversations. End quote. The great social filter is as simple as an unconscious risk-reward calculation. Is this person worth the probability that we get COVID and something horrible happens? Interestingly, the great social filter hit two groups the hardest for completely opposite reasons, young people and old people. Young people had the disconcerting realization that most of the people they considered friends were really nothing more than glorified acquaintances. Old people isolated themselves far more because of the greater danger posed by the virus. In the end, both groups ended up feeling isolated. But perhaps the most troubled readers were not those who lost friendships, but rather those who lost romantic relationships or marriages. One reader's email is representative of many who had similar stories. Quote, Without all the distractions of normal days, my husband and I learned we no longer knew one another and actually no longer liked one another. It was a perfect time for Zoom counseling sessions, which actually pointed out that it wasn't necessarily that we didn't like each other, but we no longer knew ourselves and no longer liked our own selves. End quote. Some readers use these epiphanies as an opportunity to repair their family relationships. Others watch them slowly fail, adding even more pain to the steaming shit heap known as 2020. Perhaps the greatest side effect of the great social filter, though, is renewed appreciation for friends and loved ones who manage to get through. Literally hundreds of readers express gratitude for renewed closeness with family members and old friendships. Many also shared the joyous realization that they loved their partners even more after spending all day, every day with them for nine months. It reaffirmed to many that they chose 
who to be with well. This dual realization about the significance or insignificance of people in one's life actually leads us to the next question. Number five, most things are both good and bad at the same time. A quote from Melissa, if you only see the bad, then you are missing the good, and also if you only see the good, then you are missing the bad, as well as the chance to grow. End quote. Longtime readers know that one of the dead horses that I've beaten for years is that it's often impossible to know if an experience is actually good or bad for us. Our judgments on things that are bad tend to be very short-term and emotionally driven. This is especially true in the age of social media, where the slightest amount of hurt, offense, or setback is perceived as some great oppression. The full quote from Melissa reads as such. The one lesson that keeps coming back to me this year is how something can be both good and bad. If you only see the bad, you are missing the good, and if you only see the good, you are missing the bad, as well as the chance to grow. I was laid off from my job of 19 years this summer. It's bad that I don't have a job, bad that I went through a bit of an identity crisis, but also good that I went through an identity crisis, and good that I can be home to help my kids through this shit show of online school. End quote. Dozens of readers emailed me with stories about losing their jobs, their houses, their relationships, even losing family members to COVID-19. In most of these emails, the people, while extremely upset and hurt, also noted silver linings to their suffering. It brought their families closer. It gave them a chance to reconnect with their kids. It gave them a way out of a destructive marriage. It gave them an opportunity to rethink what they wanted to do with their lives. It showed them who really loved them for who they were and who didn't. There continues to be a hidden value in suffering, and I will continue beating that dead horse. Interestingly, a lot of people reported that this realization of the double-sidedness of events changed how they see the world and its problems as well. One reader said, quote, I learned things are never black and white no matter how hard someone tries to convince you they are, end quote. Another reported how she used to believe in conspiracy theories, but after seeing government after government botch fundamental and basic actions against the pandemic, it became impossible for her to ignore the rampant incompetence in human organizations. Number six, by slowing down, everything somehow speeds up. Quote, in spite of all the doom and gloom that the pundits and press have been saying about the boringness of staying home with my husband, I've advanced my cooking, read, and really enjoyed the boring times. Maybe I was just a boring person all along and trying to be active to fit in. I found the lack of a fast pace to be good for my attitude, end quote. Another consistent theme of the emails was the appreciation of, quote, slowing down, readers taking their time, enjoying the boringness of their lives. One reader said that she, quote, found something deeply gratifying about delaying my own gratification in the interest of keeping others safe and healthy. Another said, quote, I've actually found that by doing less with my days, I enjoy and appreciate each one of those things more. This slowing down of life has been endlessly fascinating for me this year, especially in how it relates to perceived time. Everyone I speak to about 2020 says that it feels as though the year flew by. Remember the Australian bushfires? Remember Kobe Bryant dying? That feels like eons ago. There's something about a lack of activity that makes time feel compressed and shortened, which is completely counterintuitive. A month goes by in what feels like a week, yet we look back and what happened a month ago feels like a year ago. What the fuck, brain? Number seven, we consistently underestimate our resilience and adaptability. A quote from a reader named Paul. 
I've learned that I'm much stronger than I thought. I've been able to maintain love and happiness through a pandemic, political insanity, cancer, job changes, and whatever the world is becoming, end quote. A large percentage of the emails struck a similar chord. I thought I would never be able to get through it, yet somehow I did. Rather than pontificate, I'll just let some readers speak for themselves. Quote, the pandemic has not been kind to me, to be honest. I had a mental breakdown in March, lost my job in June, moved twice in the past four months, slept on sofas and in moldy rooms, was disappointed by friends and lovers. Despite all this, I've learned that I am more resilient than I ever thought. This has been the hardest year of my life, bar none. I used to think that I couldn't live without my friends, my social life, or a steady paycheck. Now I've learned I can survive without any of them. Many years ago, after suffering through a difficult and isolated months of my own, I wrote an article about this, that in hardship, we are often surprised to discover that most of what we need is already within ourselves. But it wasn't just the adaptability of individuals that was inspiring. Many people were surprised and impressed at how quickly society adapted itself to new realities. Quote, I've learned we are fundamentally adaptable as a species and as a society. After a few months, what feels alien is the way things used to be. Watching some TV show where people don't wear masks now dates the show like gym pants or shoulder pads do. The new normal is a very overused term, but I think it conveys well the speed at which something odd becomes a non-odd thing. Another reader mentioned, quote, I hate to admit this, but back in March, I was scared and thought we were witnessing the end of the world. I thought nothing was ever going to be the same again. I'm still surprised that there somehow hasn't been widespread anarchy. I think I really underestimated the resilience of people in society in general. And on an on an optimistic note, one reader sent the following, quote, I'm impressed how in a crisis the world works together. I work in pharma R&D most of my career and never thought I would see the collaboration that I saw with the vaccine work, end quote. Number eight, fear is dangerous. A reader named Thomas wrote, quote, I learned that fear drives people to be highly selfish capable of only thinking of themselves, their own health, and convenience, end quote. A number of readers commented on the fear that pervaded public discourse this year and how we reacted to it as a culture. It was not pretty. A reader named Jean described it very well. Quote, fear is not simply an emotion. It is dangerous. I've often excused the behaviors of others in a crisis as just being afraid and preach compassion. But as things got more and more intense, you can see how very dangerous and destructive fear can be. It can override our senses of altruism, and soon enough, it is like rats fleeing a sinking ship, panicked and harming each other. Therefore, it is not enough to simply recognize or acknowledge or forgive fear. We must find ways to crush it by finding reassurance and a sense of security, and giving others that sense of security in any way they need. Having strong, cohesive leadership is essential, for example. End quote. Interestingly, disgust for political leadership was common across people from pretty much every country I heard from, whether it was a poor policy response or boxed ex execution of plans or politicians leveraging fear and division for political gain. Everyone outside of a handful of countries in the Pacific seemed pretty disillusioned. I, like many people, had a faint hope back in March that having a common cause would unite people across political divisions. Apparently, it simply did the opposite in most places. Part of this is because of how fear affects our ability to reason and see commonality. One reader summarized it thus, quote, 
Fear changes our perspective more than we realize. Fear basically forces us to not think. We humans usually have assumptions about everything, so the fear usually forces us to believe in those assumptions without much thinking. The solution I which I found is to have the courage to accept even the worst of things which could happen." End quote. What the reader is referring to is something that is sometimes referred to as negative visualization, a practice that originated with the Stoics. The idea of vi negative visualization is to actually imagine the worst case scenario and challenge yourself to mentally prepare for it and become comfortable with it. This comfort will then eliminate or at least drastically reduce the emotional reaction to many of your fears. Number nine, always be financially prepared. A quote from a reader named Sandra. Living within your means is not a nice goal to have. It is a must. Those that do not are in serious shit immediately when things go sideways. End quote. It's funny. Every time I crowdsource an advice article like this, lots of people bring up money. When I asked older folks for advice for someone turning 30, the number one piece of advice was to get debt-free and save for retirement. When I asked hundreds of happily married couples for marriage advice, over and over again, they brought up the importance of being aligned about money and being able to trust your partner with saving and spending. Well, the streak continues. Hundreds of readers chimed in with the tried and true advice to always save for a rainy day. Quote, thank God I'm conservative with money. I've never felt more justified in my spending habits than I was this year. I've always lived below my means. And this year, as soon as I lost my job, I knew I had enough tucked away to wait it out. I can't imagine how many nights of sleep I would have lost if I hadn't been up so uptight about money the last five years. Of course, there were many readers on the other side of this equation. Another one wrote, quote, I learned to be more careful in my spending. That new phone can wait. Those new clothes can wait. I've never been good at saving money, and this year really punished me for that. I will never make this mistake again, end quote. It's often trendy in my line of work to tell people that money doesn't bring happiness. Well, that may be true, but a lack of money can sure bring a lot of unhappiness. If you've always been lax in your financial habits, hopefully this year was a wake-up call. Number 10. You have no excuse to not be who you want to be. A quote from a reader named Steve. What I have learned from 2020, that we do what we do. That there's little point of saying, when I'm rich, I'm going to, or when I retire, I'm going to do... Because you're not. If you're not doing it now, you won't do it then. I always kidded myself and said that if I was locked up for years, I'd get scarily fit and read all the great books of history. Instead, in lockdown, I got fat, well, fatter, and read no more top-notch literature this year than any other year. End quote. People love the bitch and moan that they don't have enough time. In most cases, i found that it's rarely the problem of time, but usually a problem of priorities. People spend hours scrolling through Instagram or an entire weekend binge-watching Netflix, and then they complain that they don't have time to take that online course or go to the gym. In many cases, removing the time constraints exposed people to this issue, that they were the problem all along. In other cases, it made people more aware of Parkinson's law, that a task will shrink or expand to fit the time allotted to it. As a reader named Brad put it, having more time on my hands didn't make me more productive, unless I chose to be. It's so easy to say that if only I had more time, I would, but the reality is that quite different. Often I find the less free time I have, the more productive I get and the further progress I make on my goals. 
so I learn to schedule more into my day instead of less. I can certainly relate to this lesson. In prior years, I had so many meetings, calls, business trips, and deadlines. It was never a question of what I needed to be doing on any given day. But when the lockdown started and all those meetings and trips were suddenly canceled, I quickly found myself floundering and wasting away an afternoon without much sense of what I should be doing instead. It took a few weeks, but I solved that problem the same way Brad did. I got insane about scheduling. Even if it was dumb stuff like walk outside for 30 minutes at 2 p.m., check email at 3 p.m., I created daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly to-do lists for myself. For the first time in my life, I developed routines around writing, exercise, and sleep. As obnoxious as I find schedules and routines, these saved my ass this year. And as horrified as I am by my newfound predictability, I will probably be keeping many of these routines post-pandemic. Like any other struggle in life, you can dictate how you will live in the pandemic, or you can let the pandemic dictate to you. Just because you're confined to your apartment doesn't mean you don't still have complete control over how you spend your time and grow as a person. Just because your favorite bar is closed doesn't mean you are limited in your social interactions. It simply means that you must be willing to take responsibility for adapting to the circumstances. I feel as though many people forgot this year that freedom mostly does not reside outside of ourselves, but rather it resides within our own minds. I will end this piece with one of the more inspiring emails I received. A perfect example that no matter what challenges we face in the world, our fate is ultimately up to ourselves. This comes from a reader named Lundy. Quote, Life is what you make it. During the pandemic, at the end of the first UK lockdown, I moved to a different country, started my dream job, and I am now expecting my first child. This is the last year I thought of all these things would happen, but I never lost hope. The pandemic shone a light on how precious life is and how lucky some of us are. My gratitude took over a lot of the fears that I previously had. Of course, along the way, I still shit my pants, but it all led to great things happening. I feel free, which is strange at a time when we have the least freedom. I know a lot of terrible things have happened this year, even to myself, but keeping this perspective can go a long way.